Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Mike and Matt Show, brought to you by Alpha Funding. This is a really, really exciting episode. Um, I actually, I feel like every one of our episodes are very exciting. Yeah, Michael, we have a special guest here today, Nick Tang. Welcome, Nick. Hi, guys. <laughs> I remember Nick when I first started with Alpha. And we had to, you know, one of my first jobs was to go to these real estate investor networking events. And I remember you guys in the office, one of the first groups and people that you said I had to follow on meetup.com, on Facebook, his name was Nick Tang. Wow. And we have him here in, in studio today. I'm excited Har- to take a deep dive. Hardest with working man in real estate. Yeah. I don't know about that. I don't know how we, I don't know <laughs> how we got you here tonight. So, so Matt was saying that he had to follow you on meetup. So I started a couple years before Matt and... When I started and I, my job was also to go out to events and it'd be like, I'd walk into the office and Dave boss at the time, our partner now, he used to be like, Oh, you got a, you got an event tonight. And I'd be like, okay, where am I going? Nick Tang, Philadelphia. I was like, okay, I'll go to Philadelphia. (laughs) I'd come in the next day. I'm like, he's like, Oh, you got an event tonight. I'm like, Oh, where am I going? He's like, Oh, you're going to have, you're going to Hasbro kites. I'm like, okay, who's event it? Oh, Nick Tang's. I'm like, Oh, wait. Okay. And then. I, and and it, for like a week, I think I went to, you had an event like four nights in a row. I went to, I went to the Manhattan. I went to Philly. You're the hardest working man in real estate. Mm, I remember those days. I remember those days. Yeah. yeah. From, when, from what you were just saying, you're back, you're back on the circuit. I am. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I did it. So we got your serial networker. You're an entrepreneur. You're, you're a visionary. You're, you, you started all these programs and you still find time five days a week to, to have events and to run your own business. So I think that's really what we want to learn a lot about. We want to understand you. We want to understand why you did this, why come into real estate, what excites you, especially now when a lot of people are having a hard time, you know, and see if we can't pick like these really, really great gems out of your brain about where we've been, where we are, where we're going and see if we insights from somebody who not just talks about, that's what I love about you, Nick, is that you don't just talk about these things. Like you, you do it. I was just at an event with, for yours a few months back and you were, you were talking about how you were shifting your strategy, different types of assets. And you're like, well, I'm buying these things. I'm not telling you to buy these things. I've already bought them. I'm learning how to do it. And I learned how to do it. And I want to share that with you. And I think that's a really, really interesting. Like I'm really excited for where this conversation goes. So Nick, you started off at 27, investing in real estate. I saw you studied at Rutgers University. You studied finance. Your first deal in real estate, how, what was the impetus of it? Okay, so first deal, um, I, I mean, I was broke when I was in college. So um, I had a classmate that told me, um, hey, you know, let's get into real estate. I'm like, okay, uh, how much money you got? And he's like, I got no money. And I'm like, I got no money. And I'm like, how are we going to get into real estate with no money? And he's like, he introduced me to this concept called wholesaling. And I was like, what is wholesaling? And he's like, oh, we can go out there, find a seller that wants to sell really bad, lock up a deal with no money, like do the contract a certain way, and we'll get it, you know, under contract, and then we can sell it and make money off of it. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of, like, late-night infomercials that talk about something like this. And I didn't believe it was real. So I was a non-believer. But he was a classmate of mine. And so we had an assignment that we had to do. So I had to kind of like get to know him over a period of time. And I used to race him with my ugly car, my ugly Saturn that I had. 
and he had his ugly car. He lived at his parents' house. I lived at my parents' house. And then within that period of three months, six months, his life changed. And when I saw his life change, he, he bought a brand new sports car. He moved to a luxury apartment. I asked him, like, what did you do, dude? And he's like, I did exactly what I told you. I was wholesaling. And then after that, I became a believer. I saw it happen right in front of me. Um, and I didn't see the actual transaction get done, but I saw someone's life changed within such a short period of time. I get, so right after that, I went on home. I'm really into, you know, I'm a, I, I've been an entrepreneur all my life. I only went to college because I lost my money. Um, so I, came, I went to college late. But once I saw this, hap- this life-changing thing happen to my friend, I went 100% all in. I went to the bookstore, bought every book, or I would try to read books there because I, I, I didn't have money to buy every book. I did, uh, went online, found a real estate club, asked them questions, and did exactly what they told me to do, and it, and it worked. So can you remember the very first check from yeah. your very first deal? And if you're okay with it, you share with, can you share with us the number? Yeah, yeah. So the very first check was not a check. Okay. It was cash. Cash. Ooh. It was cash, okay? And it was the craziest thing because... Um, it was 50000 Whoa! in cash. And I got it in this like little lunch bag, right? <laughs> it sounds like the craziest thing in the world, right? But uh, I had this deal where I sold it to um, a, a friendly friend that's Asian. And Asian people, they all do business. They all have like nail shops or whatever kind of business that they do, restaurants. And they get a lot of cash saved up. And so it wasn't like illegal money in terms of like, you know, like drug business. It was just a cash business. And they were like, here. Like, it was like handed to me like- Five (laughs) stacks. You know, know, there's nothing safer than a paper bag full of money in your freezer. Yeah. Than a a vault. Like, who needs a vault? Nobody's looking in your freezer for the the dollars. Yeah, just make sure you don't bury it on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) But it was the, 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 the crazy experience because I never had such a big sum of money just handed to me that way too, you know? So now the, the, the question that everyone wants to know, because we've all watched a lot of movies- was it was it <laughs> was it a substantial did it did it look as substantial as it sounds or was it just like I had like a small stack of it was all hundreds so, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, it's, about, yeah. it's about this I, I've yeah. seen a stack of ten thousand it's about five of these it's probably yeah. this amount a few inches yeah yeah it's, few it's, inches it's, and five in hundreds but it but it was crazy because I remember uh, when I was uh, when I was like twelve or thirteen and my uncle just got a job. And, his, and he was really excited. And his job, and he was like, I just got a job. You know, we've been, we've only been in America for like four years, five years. And he's like, I got a $40,000 paying job. You know, and he was really excited. And I was really excited for him because I didn't even understand what that was. But because I, cause he was excited, I was happy. And then, like, you know, 10 years later, I'm, I get paid what he's making in a year. And I, but... You know, so it was like, wow, and this is my first deal, you know, and I'm like, this is like, this is something like months before I didn't believe it was real. And now I have this sum of money. So I have two questions. Yeah. Part one, what was the first thing you bought with it? If you did buy anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part two, 
What was the next thing you did in your real I'm estate career? A I want to no, know the follow-up. What did you do as your next move from a real estate investment investment perspective? And then what was the first thing you bought? So I actually did want to buy a car, but I didn't. Okay, because I I had a goal where like I wanted to make a certain amount before I bought a car. I've always been a I've always been a car guy, but I'm not not into tuning. I'm into like the art of a car, like the beauty of it. Um, so right after I decided, hey. I'm gonna open up an office, and I'm going to hire people to to work for me, to do what it is that I uh, I did. Because I was doing a lot of short sales at that time, and so I was like, I'm gonna open up an office, hire people, uh, teach people how to do short sales for me, then I can buy it, and then from there flip it. Can you explain? I know I'm jumping in, Mike. Okay. For a short sale, yeah. can you explain to our audience, the listeners, what is a short sale? Sure. So a short sale is a um, it's a situation or is an opportunity where like um, the homeowner has a house they owe more than what the house is worth. So like so the example I had was uh, the house owed was owed uh, three fifty, okay, and in its current shape that was in, um, it was only worth I would say probably one fifty, and I got the approval on that short sale. I offered them initially like eighty thousand because I didn't know what an off what to get offered them, so I just came up with a number, and then the bank agreed to me for to sell it to me for one fifteen, and so I had an approval for one fifteen, and then I found a person that wanted to buy it for fifty thousand dollars more, and they bought it for one fifty five, no one sixty five, and then from there uh, I got my fifty thousand, and then they did whatever they did with it to make it worth. 300 or whatever it was. So, you know, usually I wait a little longer to ask this question, but because your first deal were in it, it's very fresh. Like, how old were you when you did it? I was 27, 28. 27, 28. Yeah. And I want to ask you how old you are now, so don't worry about it. I'm, wanna, I'm 42 now. He's 42. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to ask. But now go back and, and imagine you now have an entire wealth of knowledge. Yeah. Go back to yourself at 27, 28. And that was a successful transaction. So, this is, a, this is going to be a tricky question to, to answer. What's the one thing you tell yourself from that, in that exact moment? You're about to go ahead and do this deal. What was the one thing you would tell yourself that you know now that you just wish one thing? Not, not all of the different things you now know about real estate, but if you had to tell yourself one thing, what would one thing be you would tell yourself in the beginning? Um, it's a, so it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a short, short cut question, right? <laughs> um, and I, I would say the, uh, the answer is um, whatever you think is not possible is not possible. But whatever you think is possible is possible. Meaning if you believe it's not possible, you're not even going to make an effort to try to figure it out. And because of that, you're not going to figure it out. But if you believe that it is possible to do this, to make money with no money, to you know, go buy an apartment building, to go you know, fly to the moon or space. If you think it's possible, you're going to figure out a way to do it. I mean, and you live that, right? Your friend did it. You were like, oh, whatever. I'm not listening to you. I got, yeah, yeah, I got yeah, a yeah. test next week. I'm not dealing with this. And you, you sat there and you said, it's not possible. I, I can't exactly. go invest in real estate. And then you did it. You know, I think that's interesting because you know, we talk a lot about, Matt and I talk on the show a lot about real estate and the fact that it's the ultimate equalizer. Yeah. This business, no matter who you are, or what you've done, or what education you have, real estate is the only business I can truly think of 
that is the ultimate equalizer amongst people. You could be, you could have went to Harvard and either be great or terrible at real estate. You could have never got out of high school and be great or terrible at real estate. But I think that mindset's the important part though. It's, it's unlike other businesses where you need something else. Yeah. Right? This is the business where as long as you're like, listen, I know it's out there. People are doing it. So as long as I believe I can do it, I'm going to get it done. Yeah, it's, 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 it's all within us. It's us. It's a game of us. It's not a game of even real estate. It's us. Like if whatever you believe is possible, you, you, you can do it. As long as you make an effort to try to figure it out. Have you always been that way? I haven't. Um, what was the, I guess, the evolution? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mindset? appreciate that honesty, by the way, because I feel like a lot of people always, always say, yes, yeah, like I, I woke always, up. I've always I was been this born way. this way. Oh, the, the person <laughs> I am today, if you met me, before I was even 27 is unrecognizable. You wouldn't recognize me. You would not recognize me walking right next to me. Like if an exact for me. A lot, but for a lot of our listeners, I've been with Alpha for seven years. Yeah. He's been with Alpha for 10 years. I have been, I'm a different person than I was five years ago. Yeah, yeah. Who was Nick? Yeah. Like in that, that early stage. So I was, I grew up shy. Okay, I'm very shy. I'm autistic, so I have, uh, you know, I have lived uh, a totally different reality of life before uh, I was 27. Meaning, I was shy, antisocial. I I would I was not confident. Um, you know, I, but I had a really unique reality of life. Meaning, kind of like um, the reason why kids that are autistic are shy is because what happens is they don't learn to communicate normally early with their voice. They, they do it with their hands. And because they do that, um, and then they communicate with other kids, because my, my, my son is autistic. So I have a son, he's an exact copy of me. And when I found out he was autistic, I was like, okay, wait. So I overcame being autistic. Um, at least I believe I did. And so when I found out he was autistic, I was like, okay, so what, what are his problems? And I saw that he was always using his hands to communicate. And then when he, communi- when he plays with other kids, they wouldn't use their voice, but he would use his hands. And because they don't understand him, he would eventually hit them. And so I, we had this issue with, uh, with that happening over and over. And so I decided, you know what? I'm not going to separate him because if I separate him, he will learn to be, in a way, shy because he's not, he's, he knows not to approach other kids. You know, and so I decided I'm going to be on top of him and just make sure when he's about to hit or he looks like he's going to hit, I'm going to get involved to kind of calm him down. And we did that. And so me and my wife, we did that for a long time. And then eventually he starts talking and now he doesn't stop talking um, (laughs) because I never. But 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 now he's also never afraid to approach anybody like he doesn't know the concept of like you shouldn't talk to strangers. Okay, because I never, I never, I was always there to watch him, you know, and uh, he, he loves talking to people, he loves making friends, he's the social butterfly, and so he never experienced that shyness, and so what I'm trying to say is like, um, I had a lot of limited beliefs that was uh, ingrained in me through how I was raised, and as I grew older, um, I realized that they were limited beliefs, and I decided to overcome it. Um, yeah, so, so... So to decide, to to simply just decide that this is a self-limiting belief, 
that's one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you recognize it? Even? How did you recognize yeah, it? Yeah. We're like a lot of a lot of the people that we talk to, they I, read some awesome books. I feel like fifty thousand dollars in a paper bag is is pretty. Was that was that? <laughs> no, that was not it. That was not it. That was not it. Because I because one of my things that my parents always raised me with was that everything was possible. Okay, so as a young age, my my I knew my dad was an entrepreneur, a very successful entrepreneur in Asia, and so when. Um, you know, he would trick me into pro learning how to do things because my dad just knew how to raise a child. And he was like, oh, son, you should learn how to do programming so you can make video games. And then I learned how to do programming. And then I asked him, what's next? And then he would tell me, oh, why don't you try to get clients to do programs for them and make money? And then I got that. So, like, he would always give me ideas. And then I would just go do it. And so I, so every idea that my dad gave me, I was able to do. Not because I was smart or anything. I just... What I did was I just attempted it, and as I attempted it, it worked out. So I always, I always had a belief that everything was possible at a young age. Um, and so uh, in terms of possibility, everything was possible. But for whatever reason, when I was introduced how to flip houses with no money, I thought that was impossible. And the reason why I thought that was impossible was because for a, a big period of my young age, I, I got into business, and it always required money. Because uh, I, I, I used to throw parties, and I was a shy kid. I didn't have friends like, like, like how you're supposed to have to throw a party. But I knew what the chemistry was to make a good party. And because I knew what the chemistry was to make a good party, and I knew how to get the word out, the party was packed. Okay? Um, so that was what, that's something I did when I was like 18. I threw parties when I was 18. I got into doing car shows when I was uh, 19, 20. And so I would, I would see like all these different Fast and Furious cars. I would do car shows. I would rent to convention centers. Thousands of people would show up. So doing things was never a problem in terms of like ideas. But in terms of self-confidence, being able to uh, do things outside of money and business, it was different. I, w I, was, I, was, I was scared to talk to girls. My first girlfriend ever, she hit on me. She hit on me three <laughs> times. <laughs> Okay, I, I had to say no to her three times because she was so pretty. I was like, are my friends trying to trick me? Like, <laughs> you know, she's too pretty. This doesn't make any sense. Um, and, but she just kept coming after me, and then that's how we ended up dating. And it, it was kind of like, in the business world, to me, is really easy. And in the, in, the, in the world of being a person, it was hard. And um, I didn't realize that it didn't have to be that way until I was 27, 20, no, 28, 29, when I was working with somebody at that time, and I knew how to flip houses already. So I was, I was good at it, I had money, but I was, up to this point in my life, always a follower. I was always like the good right-hand man or the good left-hand man. Like I was always like that guy that was really good at doing whatever you needed him to do. And I felt that was my role in life. And I was working with this guy who was teaching people how to do short sale flips. And um, he would pack the room, to, uh, and then he would sell them on this thousand no, dollar class, and then you know, he would get 10, 20 people to sign up for it. And then at the end of the class, he would sell them on mentoring. And the mentoring was really with me, okay? Because I was, because what I was, the reason why I was working with him was because I wanted all the short sale deals. I wanted to get everybody short sale deals so that way I could buy them, like I could process it for them, 
And then I would flip it with them and flip, split it with them 50-50, or I could buy them. And I was uh, hanging out with this guy for a period, and then I, was asked, I asked him one day, uh, hey, dude, have you ever done one of these? And he's like, no, but I can figure it out if I really had to do it. And when, that, that, when he said that to me, I'm like, wait, you're charging people like $1,000 a person to come to this event, no, $10,000 mentoring, and I'm, I'm the one that's actually doing the mentoring, and you've never done any of this? And I didn't get paid any of the mentoring fees because my deal with him was that I could buy the house, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, and I had a, a friend that was there. His name is VJ. And up to this point, he always thought I was the weirdest guy because he's like, Nick, you're so oblivious to how the world is. How did you make it? Like, because he, he, he's a guy that understands I'm oblivious to how evil the world could be, how people are, but somehow I became successful, regardless of that, you know? And he's like, Nick, this is the exact example, okay? You're working with someone that's actually not, has not done this. He's going out there and saying he's done it, which is fine. Like, this is that, that, that's this thing. But you're the one doing it, and you're not doing, you're not the one being the guru, um, making the money off of the students, and doing the mentoring. And he asked me, dude, you can't, like, are you going to continue working with this guy? Because I don't think you should. This is why he's doing, he's not a real person, and that you should step up and do something. And then I talked to Trang, uh, which was just my girlfriend at the time, and she was like, yeah, you should be doing this because you want to get to buy the houses and you're the one really being helpful and you're doing all this work for no reason. And so right after that, I was like, look, I'll do this. I will do the, the I'll start doing what he used to do, which was the classes, but I'm not going to do mentoring because that's not what I'm after. I'm after the deals. So I, I decided to start doing classes just like him where I would charge $1,000, but no mentoring. But the thing is, up until this point in my life, my biggest fear, I have two fears in life, okay? My whole life, ever since I was a child, two fears, public speaking is one of them, and heights is the second, okay? And I was like, I'm afraid to speak, but then my friends were like, you know this Well, stuff. you definitely conquered that, because like I said earlier, you're the hardest working guy in real estate. So what was, so what was that moment? So let's, so let's backtrack. So 27, you do your first deal. Yeah. When do you start doing the teaching? So I was only doing teaching because I was trying to get more deals, mm -hmm. right? So I did it when I was like probably 28. Okay. Okay. The reason why, because I was already working with some other guy, and he was getting like 10, 20 deals to me a month through teaching. And so he, and I would attend his class, and he's not teaching anything extraordinary, you know? Because I was like the, the guru, I was like the mentor in the class, but I would attend it as a mentor, like just be there if he had questions. And so I knew everything. And then um, I, w when I decided to stop working with him, I, I didn't want to not continue getting deal flow from that. And so I decided I'm gonna start public speaking, getting students doing exactly what he did. And, um, and I, I was so afraid of speaking that I used to drink. Because I'm not an alcoholic, I don't drink. Mm -hmm. um, I tried drinking, I just never got, to, I never got into it. 
And so I was not an alcoholic. I don't do drugs, any of that. And, um, and I used to work around people that did us all day long. Because I used to throw parties. There was, like, drugs everywhere, you know? Like, like Kang, party liaison. Yeah, that's, like, that's you, you don't is. understand. I used to work at uh, Club Exit in New York City, which was, like, the big shot club in New York City. And, like, you go to the back room, there's, like, bulletproof walls. Like, you would see it, right? And it's, like, these bulletproof glass walls everywhere. And there's these shelves with money and drugs. Like, you guys don't know if it's because you don't go back there. Right? <laughs> but, but it was a normal space. And I was, like, the only promoter that was, like, not drug-affiliated as a user or a promoter. <laughs> but um, but I, um, I started, I, I knew there was a drink that I didn't necessarily like, but it would get me buzzed really fast. What was it? It was Southern Comfort, like a shot, right? Oh, so going oh. line? Yeah, so Ooh. I would always take that before going on stage. And then it would calm me down. It would allow me to speak. And then I did it for like six months, three months, six months. And I would always do it as my first, for my first presentation. And then um, as time went by, I got comfortable. And I didn't have to drink anymore. So when did the your networking group become the version of it that it is today? When did you go from $1,000 a person yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Being, $10. to being <laughs> everywhere yeah, and, yeah. and having a sprawling network? Like, right. Like what, what, you know, it's, it's, a, it's interesting because I look at what you're just saying to me, like you're 27, you do your first deal. A year later, you're, mentor, you're mentoring people, you're teaching them. You go off on your own, you're teaching on your own now. Right, you're obviously still doing deals. You're telling me you're getting ten deals a month yeah, that, that then, you're yeah. doing. What you know? So aside from the deal flow, because I I know deal flow is important, but I don't think you would do everything. And I could be wrong, right? But I don't think you do everything that you're doing just because you want a deal flow. At some point, what clicked where you said, you know, like you just you just said ten dollars a person. Like what clicked where you said, you know, I need to make this accessible. I need to do this often, and I need to make sure people learn what I'm doing. Like when, right, right. when did those, when did that like trigger in you? Right. Like that, that very giving moment. So, so right after I got paid, I started my office. I had this office where I would hire people. And then, so deal flow was very important to me, not just because of uh, the opportunity to make money, but I had to keep my employees busy, you know? And um, so I had a back end what I was working on with, you know, just keeping my employees busy. And on the front end, I was helping my friend do his training. But then after I realized what happened, I, I graduated to me doing the trainings now. And then me also handling deal flow with my, my staff on the back end. Um, the problem that I saw as time went by working with staff, this is probably like a year, 2008 to 2009. Not, I'm sorry, not 2008 to when I was 28 to, to uh, 29, I, I had staff that I, I taught them how to do everything, but yet they still couldn't do it. And as I was teaching, I realized some people that I was teaching were very successful at processing short sales for whatever reason. Like I, I, taught, them, I taught everybody everything, but some people got it. And then I started um, feeding them the processing opportunities versus letting my staff do it and so that's how I built my office when I was like 28 29 I, I graduated from shifting from working with staff to working with students okay but there was a other thing I, I remember when I was um, 
trying to get more students, I, I would, uh, I would teach literally everything. There was nothing I didn't teach. Like I taught how the bank looked at it. I taught everything that I knew, and my parents would. I would send out emails like uh, the drip emails. Like I would say like, Hey, I'm gonna teach you how to do this. How to do that. And then I would also start doing sending out emails where I actually taught something in the email so that way people would open it. And my parents were like, wow, this is a really good tip. But they're like, you shouldn't share this. So there was a period when I was like holding back stuff. And I ran with that period with that for like six months or a year, and it didn't work. And then after that period, I shifted to just sharing everything. And that's when I saw everything changed. What I saw was uh, when you didn't care about how valuable the stuff that you know is, you will see how the world will work. Meaning it's valuable, but just share it. And if you share it, you'll see how many people actually use it. And you'll see that it's less than 5%. And then those 5%, you can work with them. Right? And then the, the 95, you can work with them in a different capacity. And so ever since then, I was like, wait a minute. I should just share everything I know all the time. Like, um, and so that's, what, so that's when I started picking up steam as a, uh, a teacher, promoter, or an educator. Because I didn't hold anything back. And then uh, what happened was um, I started trying to get more, uh, more known because you have to get known to get students. And so I started asking real estate clubs in New York, North Jersey, Central Jersey, South Jersey, and Philly to allow me to speak. And they were like, no, Nick, we can't let you speak because you're a local person. Uh, we can invite you for like little panels and stuff, but we don't allow people to sell their education um, if they're local. We only want like national people. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, in, in, right. in a market in Philadelphia where you have intimate knowledge of what's going on, yeah, yeah, they're saying you shouldn't speak on it. We want some national person who flies around from city to city. Who's never done a deal here to teach exactly. us exactly. Right. And then what happened? And so I was at the club, Emeria. I don't know if I should mention it. <laughs> <laughs> as long as on a first name basis. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the pres- the ex president of the club, was like a real good friend of mine. And um, I had a vendor table there, and people would sign up for my classes because they are hearing my name, they're hearing what I do. And then one day, I got a call from my, the, the ex-president, who's a great friend of mine still to this day. He's like, Nick, I'm like, hey, hey, Frank, what's up? He's like, Nick, I got to kick you out as a vendor at the club. And I'm like, wait, why? And he's like, oh, it's because some people sign, uh, sign up for your class, and the club didn't like that. And I'm like, Wait, is it because they didn't get paid? I'm like, look, Frank, let me pay them. I, can, I have no problem giving you guys the cut of whatever students you thought signed up. And I have no problem doing this going forward, for, for like ever, you know? And he's like, no, 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 it's not that. They don't want people local, you know, <laughs> selling education. And I'm like, okay, so you kick me out. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, Frank, I told him straight up, Frank, you know I'm going to start my own club, right? He's like, yes, I, I know, I know that. And that's why I did the call. And then he's like, uh, if, when you, whenever you start, let me know. I'm going to be the first member. Wow. Yeah, that's wow. what he said. That's a, yeah, that's a move. A, a nice gesture. Yeah, and so literally a few months after, 
I started the club. Now, what year was that? Because you started when you were 27. You started doing the teaching. Now you're running these real estate networking clubs. When? How long have you been doing this for? It's probably 20, like 2009, 2010. It's probably 2010. It's, it's almost 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. And you still, to this day, uh, to our listeners, Nick has a group in, whether it's in Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York, packs the room every single month, and yeah, you've yeah. been doing it for 15 years. To go back to what you were talking about earlier, about just you having that ability, you understand the chemistry of how to get people together. Yeah. You're a visionary, you understand what it takes to get you know, that ecosystem together. So I guess from your club promoting days. Correct. To putting together Eventful. events, yeah. and now all of a sudden, real estate events, it's amazing. Yeah, it's the same, it's the same formula. Same formula. Um, I mean, you go to a party, why? You normally go to a party to meet girls or guys, right? And hear good music and great atmosphere, right? So if you're trying to draw out people and you don't know anybody in the beginning, you're going to have to figure out how to get girls to show up, right? And so my first party, I, I came up with a theme. I reached out to a modeling agency, right? <laughs> nice. Why not, right? Good move. I want to know where this goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I really want to know where this goes. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, are you guys looking for models? They're like, yeah, we're always looking for models, right? Because they, they make money off of doing photo shoots and then selling opportunities of bookings and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, look, I'm going to do a model search party. Why don't you guys bring some models there and then we can recruit models for you? You know, and then whoever's good is good. Whoever's not, like, you know, don't take them. And that was the gimmick. That was the theme of the first party. And then when I did model search party, every guy that sees that flyer is like, there's going to be a lot of girls here. And then every girl at that age group bracket wants, wants to be, to be a model. model. <laughs> you know, and so it was just like automatically packed. Well, how I didn't, didn't want to us think of this. How do you, get, how do you get more bees? Just put the honey out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, 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 that, so that was the first party. And so uh, as for the events, uh, as for real, as real estate education, um, the formula is the same way. You know, um, people want to learn from locals that are doing it. And people want to learn from people that are really sharing. Right. You know, and I find that people, it's not that people don't want to share, they don't know how to share. And so that's why I started graduating from like doing, because there was a period when I was doing individual speaking events, where meaning I would invite one speaker to speak. And that's a good way of, of educating people, but the problem with that way is, is normally the speaker will plan a presentation and then they just do that presentation. And they think that's how, uh, and that presentation does work, but it's gonna connect with a certain percentage of people in the audience because that presentation was built for a specific way, you know? But that, that's why I started doing panels because with a panel, there's three people doing speaking and they're each sharing their own way of doing the same thing. And it's also interactive. I've yeah, been a yeah, part of yeah. Michael's been a part of it. Absolutely. I've been a part of it. We've been at many of your events, not only just the panels at some of the educational events, your networking events, but you also grew and you started building up these expos. I mean, yeah, these, yeah. these things are thousands, huge. Thousands yeah. of people. Thousands of people showing up to these events and you do multiple of them every single year, bringing yeah. some of the best of the best locals yeah. in each market and bringing them all and together. having that in those interactive moments, right? And yeah, yeah. As a speaker at your events, that's the best part. Like, you know, talking, giving a presentation is great, but 
what I've always found, especially at your events, is the interaction with the other smart, supposedly right, quote right. unquote smart people, because I don't know how smart I am. Right. But like, because, you know, I really always felt like I walked out once and I kind of went toe to toe with somebody at one of your events. Like we were on a panel together. Yeah. And the people were walking out like, that was the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> that was amazing. And I'm like, really? I'm pretty frustrated. But, <laughs> you know, and they're like, no, this, that was that was the most intensely like impressive. Like, like I learned, I learned everything that I needed to learn in just the two of you arguing. I'm like, all right, you can have that. (laughs) You can have that. It's great. People love it. They do love it. it. So now, you know, we just covered a lot, right? We just covered the, the brief history of Nick tech. Yeah. I think is what we did. So now I want to take that for a second because I just want to, I want to yank something out of it because you've been doing this, since you're your you're late 20s, you're in your 40s, you're still doing it. You, you still have a real estate empire that you've built for yourself. So now the question that everybody has right now, right now is, what do I do? Obviously, there's a lot happening out there. So in your opinion, you're, you're, you're still going strong. What are the things that you think people are missing? Where are the opportunities? Not, and, and when I say that, like, it could be geographical. Maybe you see there's a place where there's opportunity or there's a type of property or, or you just, are you, are you also in the mindset of, Hey, like, listen, this too shall pass. Like, give it, give it a little time. Like where, where's your head at and what are you doing? So I think there's always opportunity regardless of the market. Um, if I look back, if I look at it right now, like the market that we're in right now, I believe is exactly the market I started at 2007 because that was a little bit before the market corrected itself and people were still asking ridiculous prices for their properties. But at the same time, there were still people that are unemployed because unemployment is up, that can't afford to pay their houses and they're selling. And so uh, right now, I think there's a lot of opportunity in pre-foreclosures. Um, like, I, 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 you know, I, personally removed myself from the game in terms of being active in real estate seven years ago because I grew myself to a point where I have staff and people that did it for me. And when I shifted towards that direction, I rely on them to see the market and see how the shifts are happening. Um, and since then, I, since then, I don't work with those guys at the moment right now. But about three months ago, I got back into the game of marketing. And I did exactly what I thought was uh, the market is right now. The market is no different than 2007, and so I did exactly what I did in 2007. And it worked. I have ridiculous amount of leads and opportunities. It's, to be honest with you, because I'm playing the same market to me right now, and I'm smarter, it's even easier. Okay? Like, if you just... Go out there and focus on how to make money with pre-foreclosures. It's crazy. So that's it's, what you're seeing right now. So are you seeing the pre-foreclosures just because foreclosures are taking a long time or or they're just starting to come online? The both. Foreclosure? Both. Okay. And they're, they're also having a hard time going to the sheriff's sale. Mm-hmm. Right? Like there's counties where they're not, they're taking longer than ever to go to sheriff's sales or they're not even going to sheriff's sales at all for whatever reason. But there's a problem that does exist. And so I'm, I did a campaign specifically on properties that's about to go to sheriff sale, and I did a campaign on properties that are uh, where people are just getting their list pendants filing. 
And then I've also did campaigns to uh, landlords that are behind on payments. You know, it's, it's, it, they're all, so there is a, so there's different people having different problems. And um, if you just understand like what's really going on, um, it's actually really easy to make money in it. Um, so, so I think, if anything, if, if you're having a hard time, it just, you're just looking at the wrong way of making money. Meaning, because the market shifts, it's like a wave, you know, and how you ride a, a wave when it's up versus how it, it's down is different. And if you're trying to take opportunities on a down wave when, it, when the wave is up, you, it's harder to harvest those opportunities. Mm -hmm. So I've noticed how you've adapted. Yeah. And we went through a crazy time over the last couple of years, especially during COVID. And you actually were not just investing in real estate, but you're actually investing in cars. Am yeah. I? Yeah, yeah. So I, like I said, I removed myself from the business. What it means is, when I say I removed myself, what it means is like, um, I had no need to think about the business. And so I had a lot of free time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the free time I devote to my kids, but um, I've always been a car lover because I, I wanted to become a car designer when I was younger. And I just gave up on that dream, you know, because I fell into other, th uh, other passions. But deep down, I'm always a car lover. And um, I had a next door neighbor who was a tenant who I saw like flip one or two cars. And I was like, hey, um, do you flip cars? He's like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, so do you do it a lot? He's like, whenever I you know, see a good car, I buy it. And I'm like, uh, what's the price point of the cars you flip? He's like, oh, I bought it for like $1,000, $2,000. And I'm like, $1,000, $2,000? He's like, I'm like, he's like, yeah. And I'm like, yo, how about this? I'll give you all the money you ever need to buy cars. If you run into cars that we can do this with, a thousand, two thousand, five thousand, it doesn't matter. Just talk to me, I'll give you the money and we can buy, we can flip it. And he's like, okay. So literally like 24 hours later, uh, he's like, I got a car. I'm like, how much you need? He's like, 2,000, right? I'm like, okay, here's 2,000. And I thought I was never gonna see that money again, right? Um, but it was just 2,000, it was BS money. I was like, and he goes, buys his car. And within, I would say another like 24 to 48 hours, he sells the car for $2,000 more. And so I just made two, and then we split it. I gave him a thousand, I get a thousand, I got my 2,000 back. And I just made a thousand dollars doing literally no work. And um, we, got, we got it in like two days. So, so for the audience, cause car flipping, home flipping, yeah, yeah, people yeah. can get a little confused. What would be an example? Like you said, you bought it for two and you sold it for four. Yeah. So you have a net profit of 2,000. Yeah. Was there any improvements being nothing, done to the nothing, car? Nothing. Was it just putting it no, in front of the right people? I, mean, like, business, I have I, car, I, I sell you, car, right? I'll That's tell you it. the business, it's so easy. You, anybody can do this business, okay? Um, you can go on, uh, so we did it on Facebook Marketplace. This is where mm -hmm. I started with this business. We did it on Facebook Marketplace. Um, I thought he was buying it from like, you know, um, because he worked at a mechanic shop and they were, that's what I thought he was, but no, he was like, no, look, I just, I just go on like Facebook, and he would make offers, on like a hundred cars, and someone's gonna say yes to a ridiculously low price, <laughs> right? And then once he's, they say yes, he just goes out there, 
make sure the car doesn't need any crazy amount of work. Because as much as he's a mechanic, he doesn't want to do any work if he doesn't have to. He, he can say, oh yeah, this car needs work because of this, we've we got to get it for cheaper. But he's not going to do the improvement. Because if we get it for the right price, we can just sell it to somebody else that actually wants to do the improvement. Right. You know? And so we were just after the bottom of the barrel prices for these cars. And that's exactly what we did. We just did it on Facebook. It worked. We turned it from doing $2,000 you know, for one car to doing $20,000 a month. So this is almost like a wholesaling model, like you're explaining. And no work. No work. You're just quickly, you you're getting it, it, you're locking yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah, Still going to this yeah, day? Yeah, Still in the small, on the smaller end? So, or there, you there's like, many games. Are you there's like many games. going full? Today, right now, there's more money in the small price car. Because people today, financing is crazy. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to talk to you about yeah, that because yeah, yeah. I just saw some stats this morning. How crazy the car market is right yeah, now. Yeah. New fi- if you want to finance a new car, you're paying 9.5% for financing a new car. If you're I now, saw this 599 the other it day. It was no, 9.5%. If you're looking for a used car, 13.7%. Yeah, a new average new car payment, $672. That's more than a hard No, not $672. I mix up the six and the seven. $762. Yeah. The average car payment. That's 13, crazy. 13% is more than a hard money loan. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even I don't and lend money now, out of that. Now, here's a question I have for you. I'm in the wrong business. I, did I read, because I know some of your strategies, we went all the way back to the beginning and you were talking about how just that light bulb went off in your head when you saw, I could do this. You went from not being able to thinking you could do this to doing this of I can do this with little or no money. Yeah. And you're now doing, you also do it with cars too. Yeah. Like a while you were, I think you were helping out another investor. It was a, a Facebook message and it was about how you can use credit cards yeah. at a very oh, yeah, low yeah. interest rate. So, so I graduated from using my money to buying cars at the auction and more expensive cars. And so, so I have a guy I work with where we just flip like the really cheap cars. That's all he does. He's not computer savvy. He's just Facebook savvy. And that's all he does. Okay. And then I work with another friend of mine and he's more savvy. He's a computer guy. And he's like, I don't want to go out and see cars. I just want to buy them from the auction. Right. And with auction cars, we can buy them with cash or we can buy them with credit cards. Right, so where we, with normal individuals on Facebook, we got to go there and give them cash, but with auction cars, we would buy them with uh, with credit card or with cash. Now would that be online? Online, yeah, it's online. on on Mannheim, on um, there's there's different different auction platforms, and we would bid on them, and we we also bought cars that are brand new. Like I I bought Teslas um, because there's a long waiting list for Teslas the last like two years, I would reserve like five, 10 of them. It's only a hundred dollars, you know? And then when they're, when they come in, right, I see the price I can buy them for. They're like 47,000, but the market's like 60, you know? And so what we did was we didn't buy, we didn't sell to the market. We were not that into, we're not into that business. What we did was we found other dealers that needed cars. Cause there was a period when dealers <laughs> didn't have cars. The, supply and demand. And we just sold direct to the dealer. This is crazy. So the dealers were buying cars. That's why you, when you saw like those Corvettes that were like marked up even higher than MSRP because the dealers themselves couldn't get the cars. It was us. Hmm. We bought them and then we resold it to them. He, the one thing I, I want inve- investors, listeners, whoever to understand, 
is just your ability to always see opportunity. You told me at a recent event, it was I think it was about last year, we were in the Philadelphia Marriott, and you were telling me about how you would just you started to see that people became more popular, especially in the real estate space. Yeah. And you would just buy up these URLs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These domains. And you knew that there was a point, just like with supply and demand, that there was going to be somebody who's going to want a specific domain. And I remember you telling me a really funny story. We're going to be having a guest on in a future episode who's actually associated with our next guest. Yeah. But I remember when you told me about that domain and you just gave it to him. It was John. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I still own a lot of people's domains. <laughs> yeah, I love John. I love John. I, uh, I don't want to know what Nick owns in mind. I don't know. I, I, I even told John. I was like, John, why don't you own this name of yours? And he's like, I don't need it. Right? And I'm like, yeah, you don't need it right now. I'm thinking in my head, you don't need it right now, but there's some point in your life you're going to need it. And I didn't want some loser to like, eventually like buy it and then price gouge him on it you know and so i just bought it and right and um i, I love john I, I i know john when we were both broke okay like i mean he was a realtor i was flipping houses but like i mean we were rich in our own way back then but we were really broke you know and I, I've seen John develop as a person, and I'm sure he's seen me develop. And we've worked on things together. We just never became like 100% full-time business partners, but we love each other, you know? And, um, and so I knew that, I just knew John was gonna become famous because he's like, he's just a good speaker, you know? And he's doing everything right. It's just a matter of time he was gonna become famous. And so before I ever bought his name, I was like, John, why do, you not, why do you not own your domain? Why do you not own your name? And he's like, I don't need it, blah, blah, blah. I, I tell them. Yeah, but the, it just it goes back to the whole thing that I was telling you about, about the vision. You see things before other people don't. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty impressive. I mean, it's $10 a month. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like somebody's somebody's got to come up with the idea. <laughs> somebody's got to think about it. Well, I just want you to know, I am the proud owner of MatthewWeber.com. <laughs> what? <laughs> and if you want it, you're going to have to pay up, buddy. You're going to have to pay give your, up. Give me your highest and best offer. Let's hear it. <laughs> I'm not letting it go. So, Nick. Real quick, I've also seen that you've been exercising a lot lately. Yeah, yeah. So one thing that you were talking about before is you said that the new you, the yeah. more mature versus who you were about 10, 15 years ago, is that you now know all these things that you might not have known. And you're running the same play, but you're running it more efficiently. Yeah, yeah. So your marketing strategy, you've now been implementing, and I've noticed it. Like you have had a, a, a big uptick. In a lot of your posts recently, I've seen you posting about you exercising. I've been seeing you posting about um, investing in real estate. Is that, you know, what happened with the running? How did that all come about? So I, f I actually hate running. Um, but, you know, I, I had like a weird, um, I've been eating a lot more meat and I hate running. And I had like a weird like uh, heartbeat type pattern that I picked up. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I went to see a doctor, and the doctor was like, uh, I don't know, but your heart pattern is not normal. And so I started uh, cutting down how much meat I eat, but at the same time, um, my, I've, I've noticed like during COVID or after the COVID period, uh, I don't get to breathe as well as before. And so I, I used to run track when I was a kid, and I was like, you know what, I, I hate lifting, I hate working out, uh, but... 
if I run, I can think, I can listen to music, I can read books, audio books and things like that. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna do the, the, the easiest exercise that, that exists, which is running. And um, I started running about, I think two, three years ago, but it was never consistent. And um, recently I started making it more consistent. Uh, and the way I was able to do it was, I started, I would run and then I would create a post. Even though I'm talking like smack or not, not giving any real good data, I would create a post out of it. And as I created posts, I became more obligated because I, I'm like, hey, if I don't run tonight, I'm not gonna create a post or if I don't do a post, but I'm not gonna do a post unless I'm running. So, so, it's, like a, so it's like a form of self-accountability. Yeah, yeah, so it became a form of self-accountability that just made me run. And then I'm like, I started running and I, got, I started getting so used to running and I started seeing physical change in running that now like, it's like I can't not run. It's a, well, it's addicting, the yeah, endorphins. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, speaking of addicting endorphins, so all that running, so you said you had this heart issue. So tell me, when you jumped out of an airplane, did you have heart issues on no, the way no, down? No, you no. felt good? So, so, so let me tell you my process with airplane, right? So I <laughs> well, always had a fear of heights. Before you go, just so you know, I, I bring this up because very recently, Nick jumped out of an airplane. Yeah. He was wearing a parachute. Right. So I, he's not Superman. But I needed to go to that because I watched it. And then I watched it again. Yeah, yeah. And then I watched it a third time because I find people jumping out of airplanes to be fascinating. It's not something I don't think I could ever do. But um, so take me to that because you're, you know, Matt's talking about wellness and, and mindset and getting into the right place. And obviously you had this issue, and now it's like, now you're going to conquer what you just mentioned. You mentioned a little while ago when we were talking about two fears. Heist was a huge fear of yours. So now I I know when I'm scared of things, what my heart feels like when it's going on. So take us to that moment because this is part of that mindset and wellness. And like, I think facing your fears is an incredible, well, it's a wellness. It's, it's for your own well being, right. To conquer those pieces. So like, take us, take us to this moment. You're, so now you've been running all this time. You've been doing all these things. Now you're going to jump out of an airplane. So I would t let's start with me public speaking. Okay. So when I did public speaking, I used to drink to public speak. And then I, I got comfortable to the point where I didn't have to drink. And then I got comfortable to the point where I got comfortable, or I, I, I fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. So I went from fear to comfort, comfort to falling in love with public speaking. There was a period of time when like, I didn't want to give anybody stage time. I just wanted to speak all the time, okay? And then I slowly graduated out of that to a point where I don't want to speak anymore. And now people are like, don't even know I can speak, right? <laughs> but, but- Yeah, what, they're like, where's Nick? But, but what I've learned through that journey is this is that me learning how to overcome the fear of public speaking changed my life. Because I used to be the guy that was the follower, the right-hand man, and when I overcame that fear, I became the guy that was like, hey, I'm the guy you need to talk to. I'm the guy that uh, can get it done. I became the front guy versus the back guy. And what I'm trying to say is that when I made that shift, I, my whole life changed. My, my abilities to do whatever I want changed because now I didn't have to look for someone doing it to do it with. I was the one doing it. I became the leader. Yeah. It's, empower it's empowering. It is. It is. So it was, uh, a, it was a shift in 
reality. Because up to that, that point in my life, I was always the guy that followed somebody that wanted to do it. Um, and now I became the guy that everybody's following, you know? I became the example. And so, I, so going through that uh, overcoming the fear of speaking allowed me to see this, experience this. And, and, then, um, and then through this, I learned spirituality. I learned, like, you can be anybody you want to be. You can accomplish anything you want to accomplish. And I believed these things ever since I was a child because I did it. You know, I did things like that when I was a child. So I 100% I, I believe it. As for um, fear of heights, like, I learned to um, kind of, like, put boxes of things into my life, meaning, like, Meaning, like, I had a fear of heights so deep that I put it into a box and I forgot about the box. And um, I didn't remember it until I, it was about last year when I went, when my, my son and I, we were in Aruba, and he and his friend wanted to go parasailing because they thought it was cool. And um, I was like, all right, I'll go with you. And then when, when I made that commitment, I'm like, wait a minute, this is, a, this is me being afraid <laughs> of heights. Like, why did I just make that commitment, right? But my son is only, at that time, eight. And he, does, he doesn't know what fear is, in a way, right? But he knew it, the sense of adventure. And as we were sitting in his boat going out to sea, I have this picture I took of him where I saw that the f fear was coming into him. And he was like having second thoughts. I have this beautiful picture of him. And then that's when I realized that's me. I'm fearful. I'm that little, I'm, I'm really looking at myself yeah. as a child looking at, at the fear of heights. And then I remember like, hey, I am, and now, now the fear of heights is sinking into me. And I'm like, no, I can't be fearful because I'm the example to my son. And so that was when I made the conscious decision. I'm not going to be afraid because if I'm afraid, my son's going to look at me. He's going to be afraid. And it's just going to reinforce his fear. And so I was like, hey, honey, like, don't be afraid. Daddy's here with you. Nothing's going to happen. You know, um, if anything happens, I'll take care of you. We're going to enjoy this. We're going to go up. And then I went up. This was last year. And after going through this, going up and down. It was the most amazing experience I ever had. And it wasn't like thousands, 10,000 feet. It was only like 150, 200 feet. But I realized it wasn't that scary. And this year, when we went to Aruba again, I did it again with him. That was like one of our things that we had to do. And this time, he was like, yeah, this is, this, I want to do it. But this time, when we did it again, it was different. Because this time, we both weren't scared. And this time, I actually looked. I actually looked at the water, at the scenery. Meaning, like, I was looking back then, but I didn't really get to look, look. Right, you're focusing on whatever's yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was being like space, a person. Right? I was you're being like... a man versus right. really looking, you know? <laughs> you're like, I'm holding it together. I'm yeah, going to hold yeah, it yeah. together the whole time. So, yeah. the, so when you jumped out of the airplane, wait, did, wait, you, wait. did you oh, just wake he's up? He's getting us there. Don't, don't, yeah. Rush, yeah. Him. don't rush him. Yeah. I got to hear so, this. So, so this time, I saw the beauty of a room. I saw the beauty of like the planet, the earth. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is a different experience than last year. And it's beautiful. 
So when I saw it was so beautiful, I was like, I gotta jump on an airplane. I gotta do it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I made a, I made a commitment. I made a decision. I was like, I'm gonna jump on an airplane, and I'm gonna do it tomorrow. And then as soon as we landed, I told my kids, I told my wife, and they were like, Daddy, why are you starting up to kill yourself? Why, you know, why are you doing this? And I told them this, and I was like, I bought the ticket already. I'm gonna go at two o'clock tomorrow. Later that day, the pilot calls me. He's like, Nick, we can't do two. Can you do eight? Right? I'm like, fine, let's do it. I, I, don't, I don't wake up early. You guys know that. Right? <laughs> yeah, I was say, one of the things you, Nick doesn't do is sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, before, uh, you, before you keep going, I want the audience to know, Nick is a night owl. <laughs> this guy literally, you, you run at like 4 a.m. in yeah, the morning. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Not waking yeah. up at 4, you stay up. and text you at 2. <laughs> and... And it was great because my kids were really scared to me for me after that point. And I told them later that night, I was like, honey, look, you know, I want you to know, scared or not, I want you to know that you should always talk positive. You know, like you should because it because the adding the fear to it doesn't do anything. It doesn't it doesn't help. And so they started giving me positive feedback. And my kids no, wake up normally like around 10, 11 because of the summer. And so because I was flying at eight, you know, I, I knew I could get back before they even wake up. So I went out, came back. So I went out, I had a blast. It was scary. The biggest fear to me was the flight up. I know that I would be. Yeah. You you I mean, would think I it's think the job. All jump. of it for me would be it. Like, I'm good. But for me, the biggest fear was the flight because the biggest because that flight is long and that's when you're like thinking like, hey, do I have second thoughts? You know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. guy came out of a porta potty. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm ready to go, Mike. Oh, Wait, producer Joe. So you jumped out of a plane as well? It was a bachelor party. Yeah, <laughs> to do it. I gotta ask Joe about this later because what kind of bachelor parties everybody jump out of an airplane? That's a new one. That's a new one to me. But <laughs> but that was the biggest fear, and then because after that, like you're jumping, you know, you, you, it's like you you can't just sit in a plane and not jump. Well, I you know? saw you. I saw the video of yours, which is why I had to watch it three times because you, I see you go out of the airplane and you're just like cool as a cucumber the whole way down. You're just like, I just saw you. You're just like. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see me. You're just like you're just smiling, and you're just yeah, like, yeah. You got the goggles on. You're just like I was taking it in. You took it all in. You know, for whatever reason, like the day before the flight, we went to a bunch of sites, and when I was falling, I saw those sites. I saw them all in one perspective, in one in one view, versus like driving to all these sites to see. I saw it all again as I fall, and I was like, wow, I was there yesterday. I was there earlier today, you know, I, it was amazing. And uh, the, the best part is this. The best part is once I jumped, I landed, I'm safe, I'm home. I go home, I see my son, I tell him, hey, daddy was at the grocery store, <laughs> right? Daddy's gonna still go jump. You know, I had a conversation with him. I was like, hey, so like, just in case something happens, like you wanna talk to me, tell me about anything? I had these, con these conversations with them, right? Before I jumped. I mean, after. I mean, after, yeah, I already jumped, right? And then I was like, just so you guys know, afterwards we had these conversations, I was like, individually I told them, hey, just so you know, I already jumped, I jumped up eight. And they're like, what? <laughs> and then I showed them this video, and they were like, oh my God, that's so amazing. So we're going to start to wrap up here. We could, I mean, this hour Absolutely. has flown by, Nick. I yeah, yeah. You, thank you so, so much, much for coming here. I want to know, with everything that's in your world, husband, Father, 
you're an investor in real estate, you run tons of networking events. Flipping what? cars. Flipping cars, <laughs> buying domains. <laughs> What's next for Nick Tang? Yeah, so my next uh, milestone is I'm going to start a, bro- a, bro- a real estate brokerage firm. Okay? I'm not an agent. Okay? I'm not, I have no experience. But I am going to start a brokerage firm next month. And I'm going to grow to be the largest realty firm in the world. Wow. Wow. And I think if there was somebody who could do it, based on what you've been talking about, about putting it all together, knowing the chemistry, I could see it. Yeah. I really can see it. I'm really excited. Okay. Um, Is there anything else coming up? Yeah. Anything new that you want to share with our audience, with our listeners? Um, I mean, we always have events. There's so many events. Like, I don't even know the events. I just show up. You know, um, I guess uh, if I can make it any easier, just Google my name, Nick Tang. And uh, you have a website, right? TriStateMixer.com. We have so many websites, but we're not <laughs> on any of them. <laughs> oh, so I know you have, for, for our listeners, if you go on Facebook, if you go on Meetup, uh, you have the Philadelphia Real Estate Investors Association. You have the New Jersey Real Estate Investors right. Association. You got the New York Real Estate Investors Association. He runs expos every year. If you're on Eventbrite, Facebook, Meetup, you know, type in Nick Tang, Instagram. What's your uh, Instagram? I think it's Top Producer. I own Top Producer uh, Expo, I think, and then I own uh, Real Estate Mixer. Mm-hmm. But just Google my name. That's the safest bet. Uh, I have a domain. It's nicktang.com. Um, I'll put all the links uh, to everything that is mine on there later tonight. That like way it's easier. Do you for have you. any other media? To, I, I see here in my show notes, um, multifamily podcast. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. Have a podcast coming or a magazine. You know, we have a lot of stuff. Like, um, I think there's like a, a formula to business. Like, everything works. So that's number one. Uh, the, to the question is, now how do you do everything? You know, um, and so I, I, I'm working on creating a podcast where it's focused on multifamilies, but I don't, I just want to be the guy that promotes it. I don't want to necessarily be the person that doing interviews. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in, interested in doing interviews for the podcast or helping run a show on the podcast, you know, reach out to me. I'm more than, help, more than glad to help you get the word out and get exposure with it because that's what I love. I like making the noise, packing the event, packing the show, but I don't necessarily want to do the show, you know? So if you are someone that has a a talent with interviews or an art in doing interviews or interest in doing interviews, um, there's a lot of benefit to doing it, a lot more than actually uh, packing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I have no problem giving you those benefits. That's awesome. Nick, I want to thank you so much. This was one. This was a really, really fun time. Absolutely. And everybody, like you know, he just gave you the information how to follow him. He's done a lot, and I feel like there's so much more coming. You gotta watch. You gotta watch whatever Nick's doing next. Yeah. Thank yeah. You, Nick. It's gonna be something you didn't think of. And you're, you're gonna see me grow this realty firm without being an agent. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have you on next year. We're, Absolutely. This, you're gonna love it. Yeah, we're gonna we're have at, you on next year, and we want to hear us. how big it is. Absolutely. I'm gonna try to do like. At least 100 to 500 ages by the end of the year. Wow. All right. All right. All right, Nick. Thank you, Nick. Thanks so much. Everyone have a wonderful day for another episode of the Mike and Matt Show. Yep.